This show contains movie spoilers and swearing. For me by myself. For that, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host, RJ McCready, and for this episode, I'm going to be taking you guys back to a year in 1975 to look at the summer blockbuster that created the summer blockbuster and that is the thrill ride action drama and ultimately it's got some suspense in this movie has it got some suspense oh boy oh yes it has and that's right guys it is jaws so let's go to the beach we'll play you guys a trailer and i'll see you soon there is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. This is Universal's extraordinary motion picture version 
of Peter Benchley's best-selling novel, Jaws. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. dealing with here is a perfect engine uh an eating machine we're not only going to have to close the beach we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark bad fish but i'll catch him and kill him did you hear your father out of the water now this shark swallow you whole you're going to need a bigger boat that's a 20 footer 25 three tons on him He's coming straight for us. Don't screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now! Shoot! Give him room! I can't swing a run! Oh! Come quick! I can't hold it! Hurry! None of man's fantasies of evil can compare with the reality of Jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Jaws. See it before you go swimming. And welcome back guys, so the synopsis of this film is when a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community it is up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. And it's a action thriller, it's got a 124 minute runtime. It's a PG rated movie and it was directed by Steven Spielberg. He was having a hell of a time at this um, in the 70s. Uh, I think this is the film that really got him on board to say, hey, here I am, you know, I'm this new director that's going to produce all these movies. Before this, he did a film called um, Jewel, which is about a truck that chases this uh, this guy in a car on the road. Um, I reviewed that quite a few episodes back now. It's, it's a good film, and I think when... Um, Steven Spielberg was approached for this movie um, by Universal. He actually said, well, I've kind of done a similar movie to Jaws being Jewel, where guys being chased. Instead of it being a truck, this time you have a shark. It's also based on a novel by Peter Benchley. Um, the novel's great. I've read it. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit different than the movie. Obviously, the climax, which I'll get to later on, uh, where they actually blow up the shark, which... Um, 
instead, in the book, it's basically drowning the shark with the barrels. But, for, you know, for Hollywood, you know, for, for the movie, I think it works where you, know, you get that final explosion, which is great, which is the old, ultimate finale. Smile, you son of a bitch. Uh, it was made for $7 million, and it took a whopping $500 million at the box office. Boom! You know, like I said, it's, it's a blockbuster that created the blockbuster. Everybody went Jaws crazy back in the 70s. Um, I was um, about at this time. <laughs> I wasn't even born in 75. I've only ever seen the um, photos on, on Google of massive queues um, outside the cinema. But I, I do remember those days of queuing up outside the cinema, especially in the 80s, uh, which was actually a lot of fun when I look back at it. But um, there's also that reaction for people as well um, who are sat in the audience and they are, you know, screaming in terror. And this is the effect that this movie had on people. Not only is it a really good film, you know, it's got a really good story, cast, characters. Uh, as I said, you know, it's it's exciting. It's got thrills. Um, it basically does everything that you want it to for a movie. Um, God, could you imagine actually think about this now? Imagine going back to 1975. You've never seen this film before, and it's your first time watching it. I'm sure there's some of you out there that can say yes, I've I've done that. Um, but yeah, wow, what 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 an absolute experience that must have been. Um, but while we're on that note, um, very quickly, it also did very well on the rental market. I mean, it did really well. I mean, it, it took a hundred million dollars on VHS rental alone. So this film was taking in the big bucks. It was doing <laughs> incredible. Um, but the other thing I was going to mention here, and it's a little shout out to my my friend and listener, Darren Randall. Um, I was having a conversation with him quite a few months ago now. And we were talking about films and cinema. And we had a really good chat about films that had a impact um in the film world in general so what i'm saying is films that came along and basically changed the way we watch movies uh, and this is one of them uh, it just it, it was just a complete game changer uh, like i say it created the summer blockbuster and then from there onwards from here well from here onwards you ended up having films like uh, close encounters and then indiana jones um, 1977 not to forget you also had Star Wars so um, what a great time to be about you know going to the cinema in the late 70s um, but yeah I think I think this film did change it also changed well certainly for me um, it scared the hell out of me as a kid and this is quite a common conversation I have with people where if you mention Jaws most of the time, people will come out and say, yeah, it's a great film. It really scared me from going into the water. And um, it, it's got that impact on me now, even in the bloody swimming pool. <laughs> I'm a little bit, oh, is there a shark in there? It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's given me that fear. And what if, this is the power of movies, isn't it? You know, to actually have that impact on you is just incredible really when you think about it not only have you if you watched the movie you've had a really good experience and you've enjoyed the film and 
I guess that's generally my passion of cinema, you know, for escapism and all that sort of stuff. But it's had that impact on you as well. Another film that had an impact on me as well was Indiana Jones. So anybody that knows me, they know that that film has as well. But that's, that's another Spielberg movie which um, <laughs> I've already spoken about on Bite Size. But I'm so- here to talk about Jaws. Uh, sorry, Indy. But going back to the movie, yeah, so... The other thing you've got here, you've got a great cast. You've got Roy Scheider as Brody, Robert Shaw as Quint, Richard Dreyfus as Hooper, Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody, and Murray Hamilton as Vaughn the Mayor. You know, he's, he's just he's just that character that you need in this movie. Um, but yeah, no, it's got a really it's got a great cast. There's some some of the cast members to name just a, a few. Let's go back to Roy Scheider in this movie. Um, He's he's that hero for for the film, you know, the local sheriff. Um, he's he's got a new role as as a captain or the chief. Um, he's never worked on a beach re- resort before, managing this town. He's come from New York City, so I think here that not only have you got the shark in the water and all the terror of that, but I think the thing. I like about Jaws, and I know there's other people that I've spoken to about this, you know, with um, this movie, is that the character, the characters in this movie are good. Each character has something they need to deal with. Um, so, that's the chief who's been put upon. You've got the mayor who's just in it for the money. Uh, you've got Hooper who's kind of there... To kind of how can I explain it? He's, he's putting all the red tape apart from the mayor, and he's kind of saying, "Hey, you really have got a problem here. We've got a shark in the water, and he wants to kill you." And not only is he he's he's a scientist, he's also got an incredible sense of humour that he brings to the table as well. Almost kind of wacky, but it works. And then you've got Quint, you know, who's the old sea dog. Um, there's nothing about him that really shocks him in life in general, and Quint is probably one of the most interesting characters in this movie, in terms of he's fought for his country. He, he knows he knows how that can go, um, as, as he mentions with the Indianapolis. Um, he's witnessed all of that trauma in his life and survived, and he's probably come back a different person. And then his job is to actually go out and kill kill sharks in this boat and he is sitting back with a bit of a grin on his face looking at all this commotion and he's saying well it's pretty simple to me guys um i know what to do and he he doesn't come across it's not like the mayor who's just an an idiot um quint is thinking well amongst all this i think i can make myself a buck or two and um, I will go and sort it out. And he's pretty laid back and chilled out, and nothing really phases him. So he's 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 an interesting character. So you've got him, you've got the scientist who's kind of he's like a bit of comic relief Hooper, and he's great. And then you've obviously got Chief Brody, and that's the interesting thing with this film. With Brody, he's ultimately he is the hero, but he's also flawed because he's the chief of this town, but he's he's trying to run it best he can but he's not because he's got all the uh, red tape from the mayor trying to make money and then later on in the movie he's thinking right I'm going to deal with this but then he's on a boat which it 
he is the fish out of water in this movie and he doesn't know what he's doing there and he doesn't have an awful lot to say in the like second half of this movie but at the same time he is very heroic about what he does and there's no there's no point in the movie where I don't feel like he's the leading character and um, it's so well directed by Spielberg. I, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if that's done on purpose or whether things have just sort of fallen in line because we say, you know, it's, I've heard people say it's like the film gods. But everything seems to work and the I think the point I'm trying to make is when you've got the scene on the boat, it just feels like you've actually got three guys on a boat and that is probably what would happen. And um, it, it, it could have gone a different way, I guess, where you could have just had Roy Schneider as a hero all the way along. And what, what's interesting is that it was actually supposed to be um, Charlton Heston who was going to play Chief Brody, but um, the producers, um, I think Spielberg probably had something to do with this as well, basically said, look, I don't want... If I have Charles, if I have Charlton Heston in this movie, then the audience is, is going to look at him as the guy that is definitely going to save the day because he's in films like um, Earthquake and Airport. So that's that's clever filmmaking by the directors and the producers, just to try and sort of change that view from from the audience, and ultimately that works. So when you see Roy Schneider, you kind of think he's going to make it, but at the same time you're sort of thinking, well, is he? Um, which brings attention and brings that it, it it brings a little bit bit more to the final uh, climax. So the other thing with Jules um, is the music. I mean, let's face it, guys. I mean, who hasn't sat in a bath and thought, listened to that in their head and sort of got a little bit of the shivers and stuff? Or you hear that music out and about, and you can be on dry land, you could be in the shopping centre or something like that. You can be anywhere near the beach and you hear that song or that score, and you are in the water with a shark trying to kill you. <laughs> it's just crazy, and it is only a couple of notes as well, like. It's so clever. Um, and what I do know is that when John Williams played this to Steven Spielberg, Spielberg actually said, are you kidding me? That's only a couple of nights. Where's, where's the real score? He said, no, this is it. And I, I couldn't imagine what Jaws would be like without that soundtrack. It is very, very clever. Um, and then the other thing is, now... I'm sure everybody's got their own sort of way of looking at this movie. Um, but for me, there's a really strange thing with Jaws that really makes me feel like when every time I watch it, it I can almost smell the sea and feel the sand and almost smell the orca. You almost feel like you are at the beach. And just picture the scene, guys. For me, going to the beach is... You, you, when you go to, you can smell everything. There's, you know, the smell of the, the uh, like the sea, the seaweed, the sand, and I think Jaws really captures that for me every time I watch it. Which again is clever. So I, I'm, I, I'm so very complimentary of this movie because it works so well, and 
there are so many things that I can go into. There's so much trivia on this film. I've only sort of just sort of skipped over here and there. Um, and the other thing is, this is an important thing. So what is what I call like a happy accident. So they had problems with the Jaws prop, which they called Bruce. And it got built for $250,000. I think they made a couple of them. I think they might have made about eight. And they tested it out. And they went on set to Martha's, Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, where they filmed the movie. And it's quite low. When the tide goes out, it keep, keeps quite quite low, so you can actually drive the prop along the seabed. And it's in like the shallows, but it makes it look like you're quite far out to sea, which is very clever. But when they did that, the um, shark kept on breaking down, or it kept sinking to the bottom of the seabed. But when I say it's like a happy accident, this actually caused um, Spielberg to actually be very clever and try and say, well, if we can't use a shark, we're just going to have to imagine that it's there. So you kind of just get that sort of little, little ripple on the water. Let's use some barrels. Um, you just see the shark fin come up. And what that's created is, I'm sure you guys will agree with me because I had this conversation with many many people every time is the suspense it's kind of like what you don't see it's the old trick in horror movies in general it's the um, monster in the darkness in the shadows and that is what had the fading of the the Bruce prop has created that and boy when you don't see that shark especially at the beginning with uh, Chrissy she's like the first victim in this movie that shark is massive in my head, it's the it's the most terrifying monstrous shark, and the shark in my imagination in this film is obviously it, it it's the great white, but it's more than that. So when I see great whites on TV, they are magnificent creatures themselves, um, but the shark in this movie is more terrifying to me. Again, it's just. Like I say, guys, you can hear it in my voice. I'm sure you guys would probably... You, you might be saying, yeah, I totally get you. It's just what this film has brought out, you know? It's... It's, <laughs> it's so clever. But there you go, guys. That is the... That's the building block. Um, I'm not going to go through all the trivia because there is a whole ton of it, but that is... You can tell in my voice just how, how big this movie is to me and how much of an impact it had. Um, so let's do a quick bite-sized review of this film. Um, I know we've all seen it hundreds of times and that, but let's have, let's have a quick look. Um, let's, do my, let's do my take on this. So the film starts off with the John Williams score, and you get like a POV shot of the shark, which is terrifying every time I see it. Um, and then you've got like a beach party, and you have our first victim, which is uh, Chrissy. She goes skinny dipping, and you know that's you know that's uh, when I watch this now. I'm, every time I'm sort of like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Um, personally, myself, I couldn't think of anything more terrifying going swimming in the sea at night time. <laughs> um, and this is terrifying. I mean, you know, for a PG movie, there's a lot of horror here because you've got this poor girl swimming; she's having a nice time. You've been down the beach pine and all of a sudden you've got that music that comes on. Dun, 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 dun. And the shark obviously 
bites her the first time. She she's obviously in some sort of shock with that, and then it's pulling her from all over the place, and you hear her screaming. And you're just thinking, "Oh my god!" You know, uh, it's what I said earlier—the power of what you can't see—and then that's it. And then it jumps straight to um, Amity, and then you're introduced to um, Chief Brody, who's woken up in the morning with his wife. And he's having his first days of being the chief in, in the town of Amity. It's uh, building up to the 4th of July. And this is where he finds the partial remains of uh, Chrissy on the beach. So he's thinking, I've just come from New York City to this small town. All of a sudden, I've got this. And straight away, it gets confirmed as a shark attack by the medical examiner. So Brody goes out and closes all the beaches, and then you're introduced to Mayor Larry Vaughan, who speaks to Brody, and he also speaks to the medical examiner, and he manages to get it changed around so he can make a buck or two because he's worried that it's going to scare off all the tourists. And this is where you've now got uh, Brody, who is fighting the mayor. Um, he's kind of under duress because he's now been told. He's now got to keep the beaches open. He can't tell anybody about the shark attack. Um, he's caught in an awkward space. Like I say, he's the chief. He's trying to run this town. He doesn't know what to do. So Brody reluctantly accepts. And then you've, this is where you've got the scene now where he's he's under a bit of... I suppose now he's under a little bit of... Got a bit of anxiety now because he's sat down on the beach. His wife's talking to him. And he's not really listening to her and you get some, again, some clever scenes here where you've got, well, you've got this old dude with the hat, Harry, and he, his hat looks like a shark and then you've got Brody sort of thinking, is that it? And then it's the old dude that comes out and you've got that famous line where he goes, that's some bad hat, Harry, <laughs> which is hilarious. But then the poor old dog, the dog goes out to swim for the... Um, uh, it was like a piece of wood. You don't see him again. I think he gets taken by the shark. And then you've got the terrifying scene here with the Kinter kids where the shark turns up. He gets rolled over. Again, you get like a sort of POV shot. You get blood that goes everywhere. You get another POV shot of going into Brody and he's running. He's saying, get out of the water. And again, guys, there's uh, there's a uh, RJ McCready watching this as well, saying, oh, "I'm never going to be on a Lido again." And to this day, I look at a Lido and I've got like cinema trauma. So, no way, man, no way. Get those Lidos away from me. Um, so now you've got a bounty that's been put in. You've got every fisherman now that's come to Amity to try and take on this shark. And you've got a funny scene here. We've got guys going out with boats. And they've got dynamite. They're trying to sort of blow things up. And this is where you're introduced to Quint. Because there's like a town meeting and everybody's there. And this is where you get the, the, the scene now where he scratches a board in the back of the room. And he's done a chalk picture of a shark getting caught. And it's just great. And he just goes, I'll catch you that shark. Enough for five, for ten, he goes. And then for that, you get the head, the tail, 
the whole damn thing like that. You know, he's proper old salty sea dog. It's great. And then the other character that turns up now is Hooper. Um, because you've got Chief Brody running everywhere. He's trying to sort stuff out. And Hooper comes in and says, yeah, I'm your... Uh, he's like a marine biologist or something like that. And Brody at this time is like a sigh of relief now to think, well, I've got someone here who can help me out with this. And again, like I say, straight from the off, he chucks in a bit of comic relief. He sees the guys out on the boats and he goes, hey, you're overloading that boat. There's too many people on there. And he just like goes, and you're all going to die. And I lay just sort of laughs to himself. But then he goes and sees the Chrissy remains. And then all of a sudden you've got a Hooper that is serious now. And he's basically saying, when did this happen, Chief? And he's gone a few days ago and he goes, the beach is closed. He said, well, I tried to. He said, he said, Brody, we need to be serious now. This is no boating accident. And then it's very clever. He just wipe, wipes his brow with some um, some water. He goes, it was a shark like that. And then he actually gives you the name of the shark, the scientific name, which is a Carnarius, Carnarius. I think that's it. Like I said, guys, I'm not, <laughs> not too good with names. But then he comes out and says, it's a, it's a great white shark. Um... And then, after this, you get a scene now of a tiger shark with its mouth being opened. And one of the fishermen said, yep, I've caught the shark, that's it. And you've got the town mayor who's looking a bit smug for himself. And he's thinking, yep, I'm going to be making all that money. Uh, and then you've got the Hooper and Chief who then inspect the shark and they open up to see if they can find the remains of Chris's body, to which they don't. You get a little scene here where they find a number plate, which has uh, got 007 on it, which is like a little shout-out to Steven Spielberg wanting to make a James Bond movie, but that's a little bit of a segue there. So then Hooper goes out on his boat. He's got a very advanced boat with all this technology on it, and they come across a boat or a sunken vessel. And it belongs to one of the local fishermen called Ben Gardner. Hey, that's Ben Gardner's boat. And uh, Hooper gets his scuba diving gear on. Not on your life, by the way. No way. <laughs> I know what's in the water. Hooper goes down and you get probably one of the biggest jump scares in this film. Where Ben Gardner's head comes out the out the hole. His eyes all popped out. Hooper's, before that, he's found a shark's tooth. Which is proof that you're dealing with a great white, but because of his terror, he drops it to the uh, seabed and then he comes back up. Then the next day they go to see the mayor. Um, you now got Hooper and Chief Brody now trying to convince the mayor to close the beaches, saying that you've got a great white out there, you're going to have more deaths. Um, it, it's quite a good scene here because it's really the battle between... Our heroes and Vaughn is kind of like the villain in this movie and he's just basically stuck his head in the sand he don't really care, he just wants to make a buck and then in the background, I think this is great you've got the welcome to Amity and then someone's put a shark fin in the water and then it's just painted help shark which is great, I think that's been turned into t-shirts today and stuff like that so the beaches are now opened and again Prol Chief Brody, he's, he's suffering with anxiety, but he's managed to get more police officers in, get more uh, boat patrols out in the water. And you now get um, 
people swimming, having a good time, and you get a great scene here. It's kind of forced me every time you get a, like a shark fin that's approaching the people, and you think, oh, here we go. But it's actually two kids that are having a prank, but then gives gives the opportunity, well, not really the opportunity, but the, the real shark goes into the lagoon where Brody's two children are playing because they've been told to stay in the lagoon because it's safe. Um, this is just irony. And now you get the scene where the shark turns up and again it attacks a guy in a rowing boat and he has his leg taken off and you get like the, the leg that falls to the bottom of the seabed. And this is the point of the movie where Brody has had enough. He just doesn't care now. That's it. It's become personal. The shark has tried to kill his two children and that's it. And he looks out of the water and thinks, that's it, I'm coming for you. And he goes up to Vaughn and he says, right, you need to sign that check. You need to get Quint to go out there and kill this shark. And it's really good acting by uh, Roy Schneider. He's just great. He says, you need to go and get that shark. So this is where the film goes into... Another phase, it's very clever how you've gone from the beach and the suspense. You've still got suspense in this film, but you've got now got three guys on a boat, three different characters. You've got the orca. Um, you've got Chief Brody who's charted it. You get the great, great line here where, don't forget your rubbers, Chief. <laughs> Which has kind of become like a bit of a tagline. Every time someone posts this on social media, that, that quote comes up. It's great. Um, you've got the oxygen tanks that are on there. You've got the cage that turns up. Um, and you've got, kind of got Quint quid with a bit of a smug on his face. What are we going to do with those uh, tanks, Hopper? Uh, it, it, you kind of got like that bit of banter between them. Apparently they hated each other, for real. And that's why the tension between them really works in this movie. It's like, for real, almost. And now you've got the orca that uh, sets sail, goes out to sea, and you've got a clever shot here of um, Quint's boathouse with the shark jaw sort of looking out onto the orca, which is a very clever shot. So here we go. They're out going for the shark. Quint's got his fishing rod. He's got his can of beer, crunches it all up. Um, Brody's doing the chumming. He's got the, uh, <laughs> he's got the rubbish job on board. Hooper's driving the boat. Hooper drives the boat, chief. Like that, you know, all these lines that come out. Um, Quint initially has a bite. Get a little bit of um, action here. Then the obviously the shark gets away. And now you've got Brody that's charming. He's basically saying, oh, all this sort of shit and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you get the famous bit where the shark's head comes out of the water. Brody's got a cigarette just hanging out of his mouth and he's walking back. He goes into the wheelhouse of the boat and he comes out with the famous line, we're going to need a bigger boat. And then this is where Quint looks around, his eyes glare up and he thinks, oh, here we go. And then Hooper comes out and goes, that's a 20-footer. And then Quint says, 25, three tons of it. And this is where the action rolls. You now got the reveal of the shark. And it's almost like it's the shark is taking things personally against the orca, who's now attacking the orca. Um, Quint shoots some barrels onto the shark to enable it to stop 
going to the bottom of the ocean, but obviously that doesn't happen, that doesn't work. It then goes to night time and Hooper and Quinn are getting a little bit drunk with each other and there's a famous scene where they're revealing scars to each other and Brody's feeling a little bit left out. I think the only scar he's got is like his appendix scar. And then you get the haunting story here of Quint with the Indianapolis. And he basically says all these men went into the water. Only so many came out. And he's talking about the shark and he comes out and he says it's got haunting eyes, like doll's eyes. And it's really building up that sort of... Almost like a type of eerie uh, ghost story, which kind of complements the movie massively, to, especially with the what, what they're dealing with. So you, you've kind of, I suppose, like I say, it's, it's, it feels like a, a telling of a ghost story on the ship. And then um, the shark turns up, and you get the barrels that come out of the water, and it drives it way, way into the side of the boat, starts hitting out the timbers, you get water flooding through. Goes into the engine bay and the engine stalls. So throughout the night they're trying to repair the engine. And then in first light, Chief Brody's thinking, that's it. You know, the boat's sinking. We, we've got this massive shark. Things don't look like they're going too well here, so I'm going to have to radio in for some help. And then this is where um, Quint comes in and he gets a baseball bat and he just smashes up the radio. And this is where Brody goes, oh, that is great. That is just great. And uh, <laughs> Quint now harpoons the shark and he ties it to the stern. And what his plan is now is to actually just drive this shark into shallow water and basically drown it. But upon doing this, he's driving the engine so hard that he's now got black smoke coming out. And he's singing the song, you know, A sweet how you do to my first Spanish lady. Which <laughs> becomes like the sort of theme song to the Quint character. So the boat blows up, they're now stranded. So they now look at the uh, Hooper's cage and then they put it all together. And then Hooper comes out and says that I've got this hypodermic syringe. I reckon I can go down in the water and then harpoon it and then that will kill the shark. So now you've got the scene here. Again, it's uh, a terrifying scene because you've now got Hooper in this cage. And then all of a sudden the shark appears from nowhere. Gets me every time. And there is a bit of trivia here. So every time when you see Hooper screaming in the mask, it's um, actually Steven Spielberg's face. So it just sort of cuts in. So when when you when you watch it next, just look out for Steven Spielberg's um, look of being terrified. So the shark takes the cage on. It sort of pulls it around. Hooper dives down to the seabed, and then the shark gets away from the cage, and it jumps out of the water and it goes onto the deck of the orca and it devours Quint. This is where you get that horrible scene now where Quint is like trying to sort of get away and he's sliding down the deck and he's going into the shark mouth. And this is kind of like a little bit of like a sort of Captain Ahab um, tie-in where Quint is like trying to hack the shark with a machete on the side but then he it's quite an awful scene actually because it, it, you get like blood coming out of his mouth and it goes onto like the camera. 
So Quint's dead, the Orca's sinking, and you've now got Brody with his M1 Garand rifle. He's sinking with a boat. He goes onto the uh, mast of the ship as it's like going into the water. It's all very heroic. The shark basically jumps out of the water, and Brody's like trying to sort of spit, spear with a harpoon. He then chucks one of the uh, oxygen tanks into its mouth and then the shark goes round, kind of does like a sort of 360. And you should keep this ultimate scene now where Brody's like shooting the gun into the mouth of the shark and then he comes out and he just comes out with that famous line. He goes, smile you son of a bitch like that. And all of a sudden it's like boom and it just blows up. And now you've got coming to the end now where Brody's just flown in the wreckage of the water, Hooper comes up, and you almost get the impression that Brody, when Hooper says, did Quinn make it, and Brody almost sort of has a little smile to himself, and he just goes, nah, nah, he didn't make it, it's almost as if Brody's thinking, he didn't make it, but I kind of get the impression that's kind of the way he wanted to go, and so our heroes destroy the shark, um, oh, I forgot to mention as well, the shark, when it floats to the bottom, you've got like this roaring sound. Apparently it's a, a roar of Godzilla. And Spielberg used it for the final scene of Jewel as well, when the truck goes over, a little bit of a spoiler, when the truck goes over the side of the cliff. So there's a little bit of an Easter egg there. So you now got our heroes going back to the shore and... Brody comes out and says, you know, I hate the water. And Hooper goes, man, I never would have guessed. <laughs> Something like that. And uh, that's it. And then that's how the film closes. So you get the sort of climatic ending. So there you go, guys. That is Jaws. I'm sure, you know, all of you guys, you know, listening to this. I don't know anybody that doesn't like this film. It is just a really good film and I never get... Um, I never get bored of it. It's, it's very entertaining. Just does everything that it needs to do. So uh, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. That's my, like I say, that's my bite-sized review of that. But before I close the show, I've got a little bit of an announcement. Um, and thinking about it, I've never actually time-stamped the show with an episode. Uh, I don't say it's episode one or two or anything like that. I just say what film it is. But today I'm going to timestamp, I'll tell you which episode it is today, is actually episode 100. I've made 100 uh, bite-sized episodes, so I've reached a milestone, so I thought I'd shout that out today. Um, I've personally had a fantastic time uh, putting all of these shows together. I just really enjoy, ultimately, talking about films. It just <laughs> It's just a cool thing to do. Um, and I just enjoy, ultimately I enjoy the creativity of it all. So I really enjoyed um, the production, doing all the research. Because I learned stuff myself as well, doing all the research, all the notes. Um, I really enjoy doing all the editing and stuff like that and putting it all together. And I always think that it's very important to uh, be creative in any sort of way. Whether you're playing instruments, sports or anything like that. And this is just one of my things that I... I like to do, I like to sit down and do podcasting and um, hopefully I'm entertaining uh, you guys out there with this, hopefully I'm reaching out and hopefully you're, you're just enjoying it wherever you are, wherever you are in the world listening to it. 
Um, but I'm just going to do a couple of shout outs here because I've had um, the opportunity to have some great guests on the show, some of my fellow Legion podcast um, hosts. So some shout outs here, one to Dan Bone, who's my regular co-host, we're having a, we're having a fun time. Uh, Ricky Morgan from the Howling Power Hour, Court Psyops from Cinema Psyops, uh, The Witch from the Doomsday Clock, Darren Wilson from Psychosomatic Podcast, uh, Derek Bourgeois, sorry Derek, I know you do a number of podcasts mate, I can't remember which ones you're on board with, sorry dude, um, Gary Hill uh, from Cinema Beef, uh, Mark Lockhart, Kate Pollock and my good buddy Kung Fu Dave. Also some um, other special guests that have come onto the show, I've, I've had, you know, the honour to actually have uh, Von Babasin, who uh, spent some time talking to me, and he worked in special effects in Hollywood in the heyday in the 70s. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go and check it out. He tells me some fantastic stories. Um, he worked on Jaws 2 and The Thing, um, which, which is just incredible, and he told me some great stuff there. Also, a shout-out to John Campbell Hammond, who told me some great stories about his grandfather who actually wrote the, the thing who goes there um feel very honored to have that opportunity to speak to him there because um, as you know guys that is one of my favorite movies um shout out to gav chucky still who uh, very kindly uh, provided me the music so the intro music and um the background music um is from his album Abstract 85. Also, the um, artwork for the show was created by Dan Beasel. Um, he's also a fellow podcaster. He does the Corrupted Youth podcast. Um, he created the artwork, which you'll see. Um, so, a thank you to him. And also, uh, a big thanks, because this wouldn't work without this guy. It's uh, my boss from the Legion Podcast Network, Mr. Bo Ranzel. Um, he works very hard to make all this happen, so he's allowed me to become a member of that that um, network. And every time I download an episode, it goes out to all the different servers like iTunes, Spotify, so he helps me out with that. So there's quite a bit behind it all to get the production going. Um, so it, And like I say, I'm very grateful uh, to everybody's participation and ultimately now this is the ultimate fun it's just i'm just here to have a bit of a laugh and fun and like i say um hopefully i am entertaining you guys out there so there you go it's, um so episode 100 hopefully it may continue because <laughs> even though i've done hundreds episodes there's still an awful lot of films i haven't covered yet so and um let me talk about that right now so i've got um Dan is joining me for the next episode. It's going to be Return of the Jedi. Then I've got uh, Kung Fu Dave is joining me for Gladiator. I've got uh, Court Sipes who's going to be joining me for Streets of Fire. And I've just booked... Um, talking about Bo Ranzo is going to be joining me for Event Horizon. So I've got quite a bit busy schedule. Loads of things happening. Uh, I do juggle things about a bit, but generally I do try to sort of get get things there. 
<laughs> I do announce it, but I'm fairly confident that I will get these episodes done. And then on top of that, I've got my other show as well, which is the uh, Mystery Vault podcast, which I'm having a whole ton of fun with, with mysteries and the unexplained. So there you go. So there you go, guys. Um, thanks for again, and thank you to the listeners as well. Thank you to everybody who's, um, you know, all your sort of posts and comments on Facebook and that. And um, yeah, it really is appreciated. And uh, like I say, hopefully long may this continue. So um, there you go, guys. Uh, I'm going to close the show down now. So um, as always, keep it bite-sized, keep it safe, and look out for the water when you go down on the beach. Be careful. And uh, I'll see you soon. this show then make sure you check out the other great shows on the legion podcast network like cinema psyops cinema beef devour the podcast duncan and Bo come correct exploding heads horror movie podcast friday the 13th get slayed the hell Ming power hour hello this is the doom show hero hero ghost show kill the cast underwater kaiju from outer space jerry hates action legion after dark metal health obsessive cinema discourse Pick Six Movies, the podcast by the cemetery, the podcast on Haunted Hill, the Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.